Um, this morning, I'm going to um, invite up our guest speaker. So we have um, Melissa Lester. Melissa, if you could just go ahead and come on up. Um, those of you that were um, with us at Glorified have already got the privilege of meeting Melissa. And um, she is just an absolute treat. So she's the worship pastor at Emmaus Church up in Lincoln. And um, it's been a really great thing to have a partnership. So we, um, as we close off our worship series, we wanted to have a worship leader come and just share her heart on it, and, um, and so we're excited. So, Melissa, Thank it's you. all yours. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's good to be here with you all again, and thank you so much for having me. I'm, it's a treat for me to be here. Um, a little bit about myself, already mentioned, I'm worship director at Emmaus, just up the road here, but I live here in Roseville, just down the street, really, and quick commute this morning. It was nice. Um, I'm married to Rich Lester, who's the executive pastor at our church, and we have two boys, Indale, who is 16, and Jude, who is 8. And I've been thinking about, now that my oldest is 16, when I was first learning how to drive. It was 1996. You can all do the math yourselves. And um, at the time, my family, we lived on King Road in Loomis. Some of you might be familiar with the area. And we lived right at the top of Sugarloaf Mountain. So if you or live in Loomis, you probably know where that is. And <clears throat> our driveway was, it was flat, and then it would just all of a sudden, it was super steep and curved. So when you were driving up to the house, you had to, at a certain point, like gun it just to get the momentum to get you up to the top of the hill where our house sat. So <clears throat> here I am, 1996, learning how to drive. And I'm driving my parents' maroon Chrysler New Yorker car with maroon plush interior. There's like a picture of it. Thank you very much. Do you guys, anybody drive one of these things? When you, this was like early 90s car, right? It was, it was a bit of an old lady car for the 16-year-old that I was at the time. But it was so comfortable. Like the the there was so much cushioning in those seats. And it was before all the EPA standards like changed the way our air conditioners work. So it was cold, which you know is a big deal around here. So here I am in my old lady car. My dad is in the passenger seat. And we get to the point where I need to gun it to get up to the top of the hill. And I just nervously start singing. And I think I was do, subconsciously was doing this without even realizing. My husband tells me sometimes I sleep, I sing in my sleep. Like I, I'm a singer, so there's probably something to that. But I start nervously like singing. It's 1996, so my guess is I was singing like Shout to the Lord or like Lord I Lift Your Name on High or something. If you've been a Christian for a while, you probably know those songs. So <clears throat> I'm doing, my dad kind of chuckles and he says to me, you sing when you get nervous. And so here I am, my Jesus, you know, whatever I'm singing, <laughs> up to the top of the, the hill. And it's true, isn't it? There is something, there's a number of emotions that will cause someone to sing. And people have long felt the need to express themselves singing because something inside of us needs a voice that is beyond words alone. 
It is, as, it is as if music comes from a deeper place, as if singing comes from a deeper place. And it's an expression of the mind, the body, and the soul. And this is by design and part of our creative purpose, which is what you guys have been talking about these last several weeks here. There is a song for every human emotion. Every culture has some form of it, and it is innate to the human experience. And really... If we think about the Christian faith, it was very much birthed in a song. Key moments of our faith's inception were accompanied by singing, even at the Last Supper, when Jesus said, the first Last Supper, take my bread. This is my body given for you. Eat it. Drink this cup. This is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When they were done with that time together, they sang. Their time together was not complete without the song. And the Christian church cradled in Judaism is rich with hymns and psalms and prayers set to a melody. It is woven into the very fabric of our faith. Just, you know, a few examples. You've heard these before, but Psalm 5. But let all who take refuge in you be glad, let them sing for joy. Psalm 30, that my heart may sing your praise and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. Psalm 66, sing the glory of his name, make his praise glorious. Psalm 47, for God is the king of all the earth, sing to him a praise, a psalm of praise. Singing and worship they, these things are a gift from God and really a gift that is to be given back to him. So as we wrap up your series here on Created to Worship, I think it's good. I want to just take a moment and define worship. This is a definition. Really, the definition is going to be very <laughs> large, but I want to define it for us today. Worship is an expression of devotion and adoration to God. To worship God is to ascribe him supreme worth. Now, the, the methods of worship are many. And I know you all have been like just discussing that over the last few weeks. But today, I want to hone in on one very specific part of worship for our time together. And that is simply to sing praises to God. Singing to God. And we're going to look at an instance where early Christians began to sing and what God did as a result. Let me just pray for a moment as we dive into the word. Lord, nourish us by your word. <clears throat> Lord, I pray that our souls would be filled today with joy in your presence, Lord, and we would respond to you, God, as you are calling us to this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to be in Acts 16 today, so if you have your Bibles, open them up, and we're going to dive in. There's this beautiful account here where we see Paul and Silas sing praises, but I'm going to take some time. We're going to back up a little bit. I'm going to summarize the chapter for you, and um, just to provide some context for what's happening, and so some of it I'll summarize. We'll look at some of the verses really closely to and make some observations along the way. And again, just like I prayed, I hope 
My hope is that your soul is going to be nourished by this and your community is going to be nourished by this and strengthened by this um, scripture. So a little bit of background. Paul and Silas, they were on the road. They went to Phrygia. And while they were there, it says the spirit of Jesus did not allow him to preach the good news. So they went from Phrygia, then he went to Galatia, still there. The spirit of Jesus did not allow them to preach. And then they went to Troas. Same thing happened. They were not able to preach the good news there as God hindered them from doing so. So you can sort of imagine, this is my imagination here, not, it's not in there, but like you can kind of imagine the frustration, like getting around there, it wasn't an easy thing at this time. That was a lot of hours of travel from going from place to place. And God was not allowing them to speak. So you, you could understand like the pent up desire to like, we've got to preach the gospel. We've got to get out there, tell people about Jesus. So that evening there in Troas, Paul asleep, he has a dream. And in his dream, a man from Macedonia is, comes to him and he is asking Paul for help, to help the people of Macedonia. So the next morning, Paul and Silas conclude that God must be calling them to Macedonia to go and preach the gospel. So they set out for Macedonia and they end up in the Greek city of Philippi. And there, <clears throat> Paul is there for several days and after preaching to a group of women there in Philippi, he sees the first combat, convert in the town and thus the first convert in all of Europe. And it's a woman, and her name is Lydia. And she is described as a worshiper of God and a seller of purple. So I imagine her being very well-dressed. A prominent businesswoman Right, And her whole household, their hearts are opened to the message that Paul has for them. And they come to faith in Jesus. And it, it is here that the church in Philippi is birthed at this moment. And if you, a few year, a few, some years later after this, Paul actually writes back to this church in Philippi. That's where we get the book Philippians. So when you read Philippians, this is how that church started. All right? So the church here was born, and because Lydia believed in Jesus, Paul and Silas accepted her invitation to stay at her place. And so she essentially begins to sponsor this new work that is happening, this new church that's happening here in Philippi. So that's the first woman that Paul come in, comes in contact with and the first con convert. Then a little later on in the story, we're around verse 17. <clears throat> He meets another woman, and one day, Paul and Silas encounter a female slave, and she had a spirit by which she predicted the future, and this woman was exploited by her owners, and she earned them a lot of money because of her ability to channel spirits, and in verse 17, it says this. This is where we're going to pick up. You can follow along. <clears throat> she followed Paul. And the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She's speaking truth, which is interesting, I think. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. 
And at that moment, the spirit left her. I'm very fascinated by this. I think, have you guys ever been annoyed by somebody else's demon? I like, it literally says I'm so annoyed. I think that's so interesting. And I think it's interesting that she was speaking truth, like she was kind of cozying up to them. It didn't say that, that the spirit was harming Paul and Silas. It didn't even say it was hindering the work at all. It was just flat out annoying. So they got rid of that spirit, but here was the problem, picking up in verse 19. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews. They are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. So they are throwing false accusations against Paul and Silas. They don't give a care about that. They're just bummed out that they lost their source of income. So the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into a prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them into the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Another translation says, in the inner darkest dungeon. This is where Paul and Silas are. So to summarize up to this point, God sends Paul and Silas to Philippi. The church there is birthed and financially supported with the conversion of Lydia her and her household. Paul, walking in the power of the Spirit, casts out an annoying demon, and a woman is set free. The exploiters of the woman are angry as can be, and they whip up a first-century-style cancel campaign that is quicker and more effective than 21st-century you know, cancel Twitter, Instagram campaigns. A little bit more violent, though. And Paula and Silas are beaten, thrown into prison. They are in the inner cell. It is dark. There are shackles around their ankles. They are in the innermost dungeon. And what do they do at that moment? Ask the question. What do they do? They sing. They sing, of all things. In that moment, they sing. Verse 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. I wonder here if Paul and Silas felt like worshiping God in that moment. You know, it's late. They were just beaten up. They might be hungry, tired, concerned, worried. And yet the Spirit of God was drawing them in that moment, inviting them to be filled and sustained for whatever was to come. They didn't know what was to come. It could have been death. It could have been deliverance. They didn't know at this time. And I think it would have been perfectly understandable and perfectly okay for them to try to get some sleep you know, a little bit of an escape from the dreariness and the hardship 
and the difficulty of that situation. Honestly, that's probably what I would have done. I'd been like, let's just try to, you know, escape a little bit here. And yet they were compelled to sing and pray in this moment. The treasure of their hearts, the fruit of their lips, like it talks about in Hebrews, formed words and a melody and it overflowed in praise to God. Hebrews 13, 15 says, so through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise. The fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Paul and Silas's devotion to God of worshiping him in the daytime, throughout their lives and in various rhythms and different ways, their devotion to worshiping him in the daytime gave them strength to worship God at the nighttime, in the dark time metaphorically speaking, and literally speaking. I love this idea of the fruit of our lips giving praise. At some point, something was planted, and it was nurtured, and then it bore fruit. The daily, weekly, seasonal rhythms of devoted song bore its fruit in that dungeon at that moment. And I can imagine them, again, this is me, it's not in Acts 16, but I can really imagine this, and I think this is biblical imagination. I can imagine them singing psalms that they have heard their whole life in that moment. Things like Psalm 139, if I go to the depths, you are there. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death from Psalm 23, you are with me. Or how about this one from Psalm 119? At midnight, I rise to give you thanks. I can just imagine them letting those words and those familiar melodies and, and, and hymns coming out and bringing a sacrifice of praise to God. And they would have been very familiar with the Old Testament account of Joshua and the Battle of Jericho and knowing that sometimes when it feels like it's time to fight, it's actually time to worship. They would know that. So friends, my big like encouragement, I hope you will take this away today, that the worship we sing in the sunshine will be the song we need at midnight. We plant with praise. We plant with worship. And when nothing is left of our own strength and we're spent in the darkest of nights, a sacrifice of praise will come forth, and the Spirit of God moves in love, and he moves in power. And Paul and Silas that night, they sang with love and power, backed by many hymns and choruses of faithful worship long ago sown into a future that they could not see. And what did God do with this worship? He took it. He blessed it. And he poured out his love and power on Paul and Silas. And in this instant, not a moment too soon, I don't know why he didn't do it at dusk, not a moment too late, he didn't wait till morning, right at midnight, God intervened. This is verse 26. <clears throat> Suddenly, 
there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. When we worship, not only are our souls nourished in the power and the love of God, but then we become a conduit for this love and power of God in the lives of others. Do you remember how the other prisoners were just listening? They were listening to them singing these hymns and to their prayers, and they too became free. I love this. I mean, come on. It didn't just impact them, it impacted those around them. Even the guy who was asleep during the songs is transformed. And this is great news for some of you all. Maybe just a few of you, I don't know. Just going to poke a little fun. I am a worship leader after all. Listen to what happens with the guy who was asleep. The jailer, he woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. And here we see, again, the spirit of God is moving through Paul. And this is a supernatural work of love. This jailer just beat the the bejeebies out of this guy, out of Paul. And he is saying, no, don't hurt yourself. That is, that is spirit-empowered love right there. And the jailer, verse 29, called for the lights. Finally, somebody turns on some lights in the story. I was grateful for that. Rushed in, and he fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out, and he asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He's finally like awake to what's happening here, the power of God. And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and he washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. I love this so much. This is a great just such a great display of love and power that the Spirit brought through Paul and through Silas. And even to the point where this inflictor of pain, the jailer, he becomes a healer. And the worship that Paul and Silas brought to God, God empowered them with love and God showed up in power, breaking chains and opening jail cell doors. This worship was a conduit that enabled God's spirit to move. And it was really unto transformational salvation for the jailer, all the guards, the prisoners. Transformational salvation. And I think it's important to say here, I don't want anybody to get the idea that singing is like some sort of incantation by where we like manipulate God to do something. That is not the point. It is it, it kind of, like, I've, I've spent some time in Thailand and Vietnam, and that's sort of how their worship rolls. Every little thing, right down to the decor and little offerings and spirit houses and all that, it's all, like, the purpose of it all is to incite the spirits to bring you, like, good luck or to keep bad luck spirits away or whatever. In Christianity, it's so much more relational than that. 
It is, we are communing in worship with the God in three persons. You know, it's, he's the one who has lavished his love upon us. And the one, he has a plan, he's working it out in us. He is completely for us as his children. He moves, he breaks chains, he sets captive free, he casts out annoying demons. His ways are higher, his plans are better, his strength is stronger. That jailer, he heard the song and he joined in the song. Like literally and figuratively speaking, he joined in the song. And the greatest transformation comes for us when we too join in the song. I know some of us love like singing more than others. I totally get that. I know that, you know, I have a little, like I might have a little bit more of a propensity. Jalise has more of a propensity towards this than maybe some of us. I get that. But guys, the greatest transformation comes when we join in the song. And you have a voice. And that's such a common phrase, but I'm not talking about the way we use it in like popular culture today. You have a voice to like, I don't know, create controversy on social media or, you know, spout your opinion about every little thing to try to rile up the mob. No, I'm not talking about the voice. I'm talking about your actual literal voice. You have it and its highest purpose is to bring glory and honor to Jesus. That is why we have it. Don't hold back. Bring your voice, even if it's a little nervous voice that doesn't know the words very well. Bring it. Bring it to him. Honor everything you have. Bring it to him. You know, um, last Christmas, my husband got me a new Bible. And something about, you know, like how there's cross-references at the bottom. Well, mine was on the side. And I loved my new Bible so much that I, and this whole, like, orientation of the cross-references on the page, it made me look up, like, every single one for several years when I, you know, the year and a half I've had the Bible or so. It made me look up every one because I was just so into it. I, like, kind of became obsessed with it. The moment that Paul and Silas are singing at midnight, this is the cross-reference. It's out of Ephesians, and this is what it says. Do not get drunk. It's Ephesians 5.18 if you're taking notes. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, this is the important part, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Be filled with the Spirit by singing. It is a great mystery to me. When we as Christians, we gather throughout time, all times and all places, we gather and we sort of like synchronize our breathing. And on an inhale, we form a syllable and then another syllable makes a word and it's set to particular pitches and tones and released to a rhythm The band is playing or, you know, whatever it is in that particular context, there's music. I don't know why when we gather to sing that God uses this method to continually fill his church with his spirit. I don't know why, but he does. This is one of the ways that he does it. 
let us like lean into it. Let's pay attention to that. Let's engage our hearts and our minds in that. Is this speaking to you guys this morning? As we worship, this is sort of my attempt, these last few thoughts here, my attempt to sort of explain, though very incomplete, to explain why God fills us up as we sing. I think part of it is that as we worship, our hearts are just oriented toward Christ as we glorify and magnify, make him bigger as we magnify him. That's one of the reasons. And in our worship, we both like receive love and pour out love to God. And the spirit of God moves within worship and makes us conduits for that love, for his power. We receive it, we give it back, and we are enabled by the Spirit of God to walk in that love and to walk in that power. There's a couple more things that are by no means exhaustive, but again, as an explanation of why God moves in this way when we sing. First of all, we declare the truth. So important. The truth of who he is and his incomparable worth. In the declaration, we are reminded of how powerful he is. In worship, when we sing, we recognize the source. It's a capital S source. That is who the source of our strength and our power and our love is. That's God. We are surrendered to God. There is a humility that comes as we sing to him. And we are kind of nurtured in yieldedness to him, a heart of humility toward him. It's like, it's a great time to say, God, your will be done. <laughs> Not me, you. I mean, your ways are higher. We are sustained in God. Paul and Silas, do you not believe that they were not sustained in that moment after being beaten in the darkest, gloomiest, stinkiest dungeon? They were. And we are strengthened by God. We have a tendency, we all know this in our culture, to sort of like muscle our way, grit our way through things. And when we worship, our own strength is diminished in light of his ever-increasing strength, of his all-powerful strength. So, just one more thought. I know I said that already, but I'm going to give you. This is more like my hope and my prayer for you guys here, Creekside Church, this morning, that you would sort of take this away. You know, Paul and Silas, after this, it talks about how they go back to Lydia's, right? And I can imagine their next church gathering. I mean, just think about how cool that would have been. You've got Lydia and her whole family that just came to Jesus. You've got the potentially the, the girl who was freed, the slave girl who's freed from a demon and her oppressors. And you've got the jailer and his whole household and prisoners coming and they're joining in song. And God is strengthening. This is how God strengthens and builds his kingdom in and amongst us. In our singing. And they worship him. And my prayer, my sincere hope is that you guys 
would do that too. That you, if you, if you sing this loud before, that maybe you would be singing this loud this time. And not just letting the words sort of like fall out of your mouth mindlessly, but that you would connect your heart and your soul to the words that are coming out of your mouth and remind yourself the truth that are in the lyrics that you sing. And that your hearts would be full of joy and love and, and honestly like an excitement for who God is and what he is doing in your church and in your community. And that you would receive his love and you would receive his power and you would be conduits for whatever it is that God has you to do as a result of his power and love filling up your hearts and your lives as you join together. Amen? Let's pray. Let me pray for you all. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this example of Paul and Silas, Lord. God, I pray that you would strengthen this community in the rhythms of worship, in the daytime, in the nighttime, every Sunday, seasonally, Lord, that hearts would be continually oriented toward you, turned back toward you, focused on you, Father. God, and through that, you would strengthen this community, that you would continually fill them with your love through this gift of singing that you have given us. Lord, that we would bring an offering, however strong or weak we think it is, that we would bring an offering of worship to you in honor and praise and adoration, Lord. Lord, would you set every heart and soul on fire this morning to worship you to honor you and to bring you love this morning, Lord. Lord, thank you for Pastor Mark and Jalise, the staff, the leaders here, the worship team. God, would you continually anoint them to lead and to um, guide this community into worship. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity and this time to bring honor to your name. Would you just take a moment to whisper to the Lord what is on your heart as a result of Acts 16, as a result of this word? Would you just take a moment and say whatever it is, but maybe there's like a commitment or a um, something you want to give to the Lord. Lord, I want to lift you up. I want to honor you and worship. Would you have a moment with him right now and say to him, what is on your Lord, be magnified. In Jesus' name, amen.